You are listening to the Hemp Startup Journey. My name is Jason De Los Santos, co-founder of Spectrum Labs, a hemp extraction facility in Asheville, North Carolina. I'm sitting down with hemp entrepreneurs, scientists, and politicians willing to share their perspectives, lessons learned, and how we can make an impact on the hemp and cannabis industry for everyone. Hey guys, Jason here with Spectrum Labs. Just a quick intro before we start the podcast. And this conversation is with Rod Kite. He's an attorney out of Asheville, North Carolina. He specializes in hemp and cannabis. And I had a great conversation every time that I I speak with Rod. This is actually our second podcast conversation. And I'll link to the first one in the show notes. So check that one out if you haven't listened to it yet. It focuses uh, mainly around USDA regulations when we talked back in uh, November 2019. lot of those things are still pretty applicable. So in this conversation, we talk about uh, a little bit about some of the USDA regulations that are coming up. We talked about international hemp, which seems to be a pretty exciting topic nowadays. So if you're thinking about going internationally, um, Ron has some suggestions about how to do that. Uh, We also talk about legalization of marijuana in the United States and specifically in North Carolina. So that's where we both live. And uh, I'm very interested in seeing how that will play out. feels like North Carolina might be the last state to to legalize marijuana, but we'll see about that. And we talk about a few other things. So, but I just encourage you to put some headphones in, listen, you can listen in the car, in your office, wherever. Uh, I'd appreciate it if you shared it. Uh, Really, it's um, one of our goals to share as much of the knowledge that's out there in the industry i think if the more informed we are as um, people that are in this industry the better the whole industry will be so and then uh, finally if you have any comments or suggestions about other topics that you want to learn if you're really interested in something and just can't exactly figure out uh, how to get the right information shoot me an email or uh, just contact me on linkedin and uh, let's see if we can find out some of those juicy topics that we're all trying to figure out so thanks for listening watching wherever you are and uh here is rod kite you put it in context you're like oh okay well that's yeah so that's been fun so really i've just been open to anything so i've actually been learning one of the songs from uh, Frozen 2 because we just went to watch oh, yeah. that with the kids. <laughs> right. So we're like all singing and you know, they're loving it. And, that's you know, really so hopefully cool. they, they kind of get some of that like, oh, like music. Maybe that's something I might be interested in. Yeah. So. Well, good. Cool. I think that's fantastic. I love it. You know, for me, it keeps me sane. Mm-hmm. And as much as I'm impassioned about this, ultimately, if you're working whatever every day of the week on something, it's 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 a job. And so it's yeah. good to get away from that and do something in a different space. For sure. Um, so but then talking about your job, so you just got a an awesome recognition, not just an awesome recognition, you got a super recognition. <laughs> so you like that? That was I thought that was pretty <laughs> good. good. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so you just um, received the recognition for the a super lawyer in cannabis law. Can you tell us about that? Like the, the name itself sounds amazing. Yeah. So super lawyers is a group and they go around, they do a, a state by state in different categories of law, workers' compensation, tax law, business law or whatnot. And they have some sort of a process and I don't, it's actually a intellectual property of theirs about how they determine who gets this. It's not an award, but a, a recognition as being a quote unquote super lawyer. And it has to do with some algorithms, but most importantly, peer review where they go to other lawyers and they have nominations and ask people. So with super lawyers, the thing that really excites me about this one 
is it's the first time that super lawyers in North Carolina has had a special category for cannabis law. Mm. And so I, I got the super lawyer designation for cannabis law and I'm the only lawyer in North Carolina that got that. So I'm excited about it. That's awesome. You're going to take over just cannabis law all over the U.S. That's the goal. You're rocking it. <laughs> Um, yeah, if we can talk business for a second. So with, uh, like I, I've just seen you grow quote unquote in, in the sense of your business and, mm -hmm. and maybe just, uh, your, your brand getting out there mm -hmm. and just, you know, being in more outlets. Um, what's next for you? like, you know, it seems like you're in a good place, at least from where I'm sitting, but what's, what are you trying to get to with your practice? Sure. Well, I think with the practice, you know, a lot of it is trying just to anticipate, and then navigate the ever-changing regulatory landscape. So in mm -hmm. some ways, I'm like my clients, you know, in the sense that, you know, we're all in this industry that's just exploding in all different directions. And so trying to find out, okay, where are my clients' needs going to be? How do I fit into that? And what mm -hmm. are they going to need from me? So a lot of it is just forecasting in that respect. You know, from a tangible standpoint, I see a couple of different things. First, you know, the hemp industry itself and all its permutations continues to grow uh, in the U.S. And so we're expanding our reach to cover clients there. The international space is something I'm very excited about, and that has to do a lot with hemp, but also with medical cannabis in particular, mm -hmm. uh, European countries, South American countries, and we're getting involved uh, in that space. And then finally, you know, being involved in the, the state by state level on the recreational adult use and also the medical cannabis. North Carolina will eventually have some sort of, of cannabis reform that's meaningful. And I look forward to representing people on the on the ground floor when that happens. Yeah. Um, and so when you say growing, so is that adding more attorneys to the practice? It, it could be right. So we try on uh, our, our, you know, we're a lean and mean operation. We, it, it, I'm the principal. I'm here in in Asheville, and then we have three associate attorneys, and they're intentionally in different cities. One's in Portland, Oregon. One's in Austin, Texas. One's in Greenville, South Carolina. And so that's to cover our bases with respect to time zones and licensing mm. in different states and whatnot. And so we we only grow to the extent that we need to. We really want to have that hands-on. We know our clients, they know us, they talk to us on the cell phone and have a quick question, that kind of thing. That's the kind of relationship gotcha. we want, not okay. a big firm. You know, you have to go through all the portals to get to the lawyer or the, the legal helper that mm -hmm. you need. Okay. So you don't want to have a practice of like, you know, 500 lawyers. That's not my goal. No, 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 no. I, I like these personal relationships for <laughs> sure. So. All right. So you mentioned uh, legalization in North Carolina, right? Uh, eventually maybe like the last state to be legalized. <laughs> Theoretically, like. possibly it could be the last um, state. But what are you hearing on that front for North Carolina specifically? Well, North Carolina has had legalization bills several over the past years, but the way the process works with our general assembly and every state's legislatures have their own different rules is that you can only introduce certain types of bills at certain times. Uh, that's super vague. And that's partially because I don't want to get into the intricacies of it and partially because I don't do legislative laws. <laughs> I don't want to yeah, misstate myself. Sure. But the bottom line is we haven't been able to introduce a, a medical cannabis bill or any kind of uh, marijuana bill for, I think, about a year. But this upcoming uh, session, I believe we will. Mm. But, you know, I think the election is going to change the landscape in a lot of different ways, but absolutely with respect to marijuana legalization. I think all of the Democratic presidential candidates and in particular Bernie Sanders are very much in favor of legalization of yeah. marijuana at a federal level. If that happens before it happens in North Carolina and other states on, on the state level, I think that will obviously push them. On the other hand, you know, North Carolina is composed primarily, in fact, it's two thirds supermajority of uh, Republicans 
And historically, they have blocked meaningful reform. Interestingly enough, as you probably well know, cannabis is one of those issues that is actually unites the parties. Obviously, there's a big disparity still between Democrats and Republicans on on legalization, but that's something that a majority of Republicans and a majority, if not a supermajority of Democrats uh, agree on. So I think all of that is to say that after this this fall's election, I think we're going to see a big change in policy and bills that are being introduced in North Carolina and at the state level in other states and also at the federal level. Okay. If you were a betting man, what would you say? How long do you think before North Carolina has legal in some form, whether for medicinal or right. recreational? Well, I'll say that North Carolina will do the thing that, that traditionally happens, which is where you start with medical and then eventually may go to adult use. And that's a whole different conversation, by the way. I don't right. necessarily think that, that that evolution has to happen. I think there are different tracks for, for adult use versus uh, medical. There are different needs, but that's a different conversation or topic. With respect to the prediction, the looking into the uh, crystal ball, I think it's possible, maybe even likely, that we'll have some legislation enacted within the next 18 months. Hmm. But of course, that doesn't mean we'll have... People can just go to the store and buy marijuana yeah, in 18 months, right. you know, once the legislation is enacted and then there's an implementation process that can take, you know, years sometimes as we've yeah. seen in other states like Florida and, and whatnot. But I think, you know, we're looking at two to four years. Okay. I, I wouldn't have expected that. I would have thought maybe five plus yeah. years. Well, you may be right, you know, but yeah, I, I think that there's this tipping point thing that happens and we do have a majority of states that have medical cannabis and we are having, you know, every, it seems like every several months, another state will come online with adult right. use. And so at some point we may just have a tipping thing and it all happens pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We'll, we'll see about that. Um, let's see with, um, can we talk about labs a little bit? Yeah. I know last time we talked a little bit in the context of the USDA interim rules. Mm -hmm. And uh, just wondering if you're having any um, conversations with clients in the sense of, um, hey, we have this product and we had it tested at this one lab and we didn't like what the lab said. And so therefore we took it to another lab. Um, and so you have this very contrast, uh, the contrasting results uh, where one lab could be, you know, plus or minus by quite a few points as far right. as like, you know, milligrams of whether it's CBD or THC or some other compound. Um, what are you seeing there? And what's the truth? Like, where do you, <laughs> where do you go to say like, okay, well, this lab is correct. If, if everybody says, oh, well, or, or not everybody, you know, like the labs are comparable. Right. And whether they have GMP or ISO or whatever it is, like, you know, how do you, how do you go to the source of truth and you say, this is the lab that I should believe in? Right. Well, that's a great question. There are some really, really good analytical labs in the United States, and there are some that aren't so good. And the ones that aren't so good, in addition to not having you know, good operating protocols, good equipment, skilled personnel, really the, the primary issue is their willingness to bend to their yeah. customers' requests uh, to, to manipulate the, the data or the analysis. And, and fortunately, at least in my practice, I don't see that as often. And I, I like to think it's because I've got good clients doing the right thing, you know, but as far as what to look for, I think some sort of a certification, the ISO 9001 uh, is, is a good certification uh, for sure. Uh, having a DEA license is going to be required potentially under the USDA interim final rule for pre-harvest testing. Is, is that necessary for post-harvest testing for products? It's not. There's no regulations of providing it. Having a DEA, DEA license requires 
some level of sophistication and experience and the willingness to go through that process. So I think it's an indicator that that lab is is going to be doing the right thing. And then as far as as the equipment and protocols, you know, it kind of depends on what you're looking for. You know, what's what's the purpose of your testing? Are you looking to to measure cannabinoid concentrations or are you looking for you know, residual solvents and, and heavy metals and residual pesticides, or are you looking for mycotoxin and mold levels? You know, some labs can do all of that. Some can only do some of them. Some do it better than others. So that's a long way of saying, I think certainly look for the certification mm-hmm. and whatever certifications they have and, and ask them, say, you know, th- this is what I'm looking for with my product. What's important to me. Are you able to, to test and what is your, um, you know, your deviation, you know, can, can mm-hmm. you tell us about that? Yeah, I've been trying to get a few of the uh, the lab um, like owners or presidents or or CEOs on the podcast, and having a bit of a challenge. Oh yeah, really? People on this show because it, it's it's important to us as an extraction lab in that you know we test things before we touch it, mm-hmm. and we test it sometimes during the extraction just to make sure that we know uh, right. how it's going, and then we test it certainly before the client gets it back. And uh, we, we want, you know, first of all, we want that integrity. We want to know what kind of losses or changes happen throughout the process, but then also so that the client knows, hey, I got a quality product and here's exactly what it is. But if a client says, well, I don't, I don't like it <laughs> right? <laughs> and they send it somewhere else um, and, and, you know, we test it in-house, we have a machine that we, so we test it in-house mm-hmm. and then we send it to a third party, but then the client might want another third party on their own, which is right. fine. Like, you know, if sure. they want to double check. But then sometimes we've had three different results. Three different results, right? Exactly, because there's so many variables out there, um, good, good and bad. You know, certain variables are just normal depending on the types of equipment and, and how they've been calibrated. And some are are not normal and shouldn't be normal because it's it's not a good analysis. So, right. So you do some in-house testing as yeah, well, just for cannabinoids, just for cannabinoids. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. What kind of testing? Uh, HPLC. HPLC. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So, right. And right now there's not, again, other than, than pre-harvest testing for hemp, there are no protocols or specific requirements for, for testing products. And so there are companies that will do their own in-house testing and that's the results that they publish. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they're wrong, but third party independent testing is really the, that's the standard and that's what people need to be moving towards. I wonder if we need some sort of a, Maybe in lieu of USDA labs, if we need, or um, FDA labs, sorry, DEA labs, if we need some sort of like open source uh, protocols for for the labs, right? If they would even go to that. That's a great question. I'd, I'd be interested to hear what your, what these lab folks that you're reaching out to say about that. You know, open source has so many uh, good qualities. I'm a big, I'm a big fan of, of wiki things in right. general, but that's not to say that certain labs may have their own IP in the way that they go about their testing and protocol sure. that they don't want to reveal. So I understand that flip side of things, but um, some sort of open source and certainly a standard that we can all rely on mm-hmm. and say, well, this is the standard that we're looking to for these types of products or product categories. Yeah. And also what do we test for? You know, because different types of machinery and machinery is the wrong word, equipment. And, you know, you've got to dial it in to look for different types of things. It's one mm-hmm. thing if you're looking for cannabinoids versus, you know, heavy metals versus mycotoxins. And so how do we how do we gear up and and look for all those things and what's yeah. necessary to look for? So I think if I understand correctly, Tesla is open source, like the car company. Is it really? That's what I, yeah, that's what I understand. I've never looked to see. You haven't built a Tesla in your backyard with the, right. right. Um, But, you know, I think it's interesting to say that, you know, like, hey, we'll publish like our our major findings at least, Mm -hmm. but 
you have to come up with the money to make the the, the parts and the source and you know how to market it. Right. Uh, right. Like that's still the business. The, the business is not just the idea. Right. There, there's so well, much right. more well, to absolutely. it. Absolutely. Well, you know, you're you you're doing that. You're you have clients come in and you're you're it might not be open source, but you're testing along the way and presumably sharing that with mm -hmm. them. You know, with our blog. I, when I, it was important to me to write something that's has some substance and meat to yeah. it that helps people. And that's different from providing specific legal advice. And mm -hmm. so we have a goal of saying, well, here's an issue that we've identified as something that's new or novel or not. And here's an analysis of that, that we hope is, is helpful. And that's quote unquote open source, mm -hmm. but someone may come to me and say, Hey, my company, Acme company has this particular situation. And that's where the legal piece comes in. That's where we can actually consult and say, okay, well, with respect to your company and your particular situation, uh, let's, let's guide you through that. And to me, that's, that's what lawyers do. And and I like to, to provide as much open source, so to speak, as I can. Yeah. And I think it's, it's such an interesting concept that the, I don't know if you've noticed this, but the more information that you put out, like, like free advice, so mm -hmm. to speak, that the more people one, see you as an expert and then two, maybe come to you and say like, oh, well, Rob knows his stuff. Uh, Rod knows his stuff, then I should go, uh, uh, be his client, you know, where it, you would think, well, it might be the inverse where it's like, oh, well, I'm getting all this free information. I don't need somebody. Right. But that doesn't seem that's not usually how it happens. Right. And I think that's, that's a big misunderstanding that a lot of lawyers have, frankly, you know, that, oh, I've got to hide this information because that's what I, that's what I have. And that's not having information is not what lawyers do convey lawyers analyze information and laws, mm -hmm. you know, is specific to a situation for a client. So it's that, it's that analysis for the client piece and that guidance that they're paying for not, Oh, I have information that you don't have. Right. So pay me for it. You know, that's just not how it works or certainly should, right. certainly not how it should work. Yeah. What are you noticing with clients that, as much as you can speak? Um, like what are people coming to you for, uh, what are the main main issues that you're noticing or, or maybe kind of trends with clients over the past few weeks or months? Yeah, sure. So I'll try to say that with, with, so it's not a plug for, so we're quite law office and here's what we do. But, <laughs> you know, just in general, so we are a business law firm that is limited to cannabis law issues and we we handle a significant number of our significant percentage is hemp and CBD issues. And we do handle the standard business stuff, you know, mergers and acquisitions and and business contracts and whatnot. Uh, we also do intellectual property, but a lot of that, and to kind of get to the point, a lot of what we're seeing with clients is just a need that they have to navigate these, these regulatory obstacles. You know, sometimes the regulations are, are complex. Sometimes they're new. Sometimes they conflict with other regulations and in, in other, from other jurisdictions. Uh, sometimes it's, it's just gray. And so we have to make some, some choices about how to proceed in, in the, in the gray zone. So that's really, I would say the, the primary thing that, that we're seeing is people coming to us with the, with the regulatory, um, needs. And, you know, it's funny because every time a new regulation or law comes out, you think that it would be more clarifying. Oh, well, we don't need lawyers anymore because, right. you know, now the law is this. It seems like every, things just get more complicated every time. So mm -hmm. clients need more help. And frankly, that's how it is. If you're looking at the tax code, if you're looking at, you know, estate planning or whatever, uh, the laws are, you know, complicated in all of those areas and people need specific guidance for their situation. And yeah. so that's what we do. As far as issues that we're seeing, we're seeing more and more clients that are engaging in international trade. And that has, that comes both ways with respect to the United States it has to do, you know, we're seeing people that are exporting products out of the United States into other countries. And that raises a lot of issues and, and vice versa. We're seeing uh, foreign companies wanting to 
um, export into the United States certain products. And that's a whole nother, you'd think it'd be the same in parallel, but it's a whole nother set of, set of issues. So we're navigating those issues right now. We're seeing a lot of uh, talk about what to do with extracts and distillates that are in a mid-stage process. You know, um, how do you handle uh, hot extracts, if at all? And uh, of course, just the, the pricing and the, this issue where farmers have you know, gotten involved in contracts with processors and processors have gotten involved in contracts with, with other manufacturers and for certain prices. And then the price has just dropped and so everyone's bailing on their contracts right. um, and and breaching them and and trying to move on and and so that they don't lose money. It's it's just a wild ride. And so we're seeing a lot of people in that situation and trying to help them navigate it. I've heard a few of those cases where somebody, some farmer, um, brought their biomass to a lab, and for whatever reason, the lab folded or went bankrupt or they were losing money or something like that. And so they said, like, oh well, here you go. We didn't do anything. And what about my, my deposit? Oh, sorry. We can't, we can't do anything about that. It's right. It's out there. Well, you know, in the United States in particular, we have what's called an efficient breach. And this is a concept in contract law. It's one of the first things I learned in law school where the, the penalty for breach is dependent on the contract itself, but usually on, on some amount of losses. There's not, you know, our laws are built such that people and companies can breach a contract if they deem it to be in their financial best interest to do so, taking all things in consideration, mm-hmm. dealing with the with the party with whom they've breached, entering into a new contract with someone else. And that the idea is that this allows for the efficient flow of goods and services and capital, mm-hmm. because if a better opportunity comes along or some unexpected price drop or price increase happens, they can breach and take advantage of that or mitigate their, their losses. And so... I guess, you know, the point I'm driving at is we see this happening and it's really detrimental to, to, to a lot of parties, uh, but it's also normal in, in a, the system that we have. Mm-hmm. And right now we, we're still in a situation where the solar system of cannabis and hemp in particular is being created and, and planets are still, you know, crashing into each other and, <laughs> and losing their orbits and flying off into space. And it, it's going to be a little bit of time before we have a, you know, orbits that we can count on and rely on. And that system is in a more static place. Do you think that the USDA interim rules will have anything to do with that as far as sort of stabilizing the market? Yeah, I think in some respects it will, you know, regulations typically, at least if they're well done, will, will add some certainty, which will help to create that more static space and reliable space. But of course that depends on and assumes that the regulations are well written And the interim final rule has several different problems that may create um, more issues. One is the DEA piece that we talked about. You know, the requirement now or or going forward will be that pre-harvest testing be done by a DEA licensed lab to handle Schedule 1 controlled substances. Well, as you and and most of the readers are probably aware, we already had uh, that that was a a spot where we're having some log jams and and there aren't enough analytical labs as it is. And then to impose the requirement that they have their DEA uh, license just radically reduces the number of labs that are available. So just creating a further bottleneck. So that's one thing that could cause some disruption in a bad way in the market. And that is the testing piece and also the total THC, which is something I discuss a lot. You know, that adds some certainty in the sense that, well, we know what what's going to have to happen 
you know, for pre-harvest testing, but it also is going to make things significantly more difficult for, mm. for farmers and processors going forward. Yeah, the, um, with the, the labs, we've tried so many different labs in the past few weeks and most of them promise either like a second day turnaround or mm -hmm. two or three day processing. We have not seen that. We, we have no. gotten <laughs> results back at least seven days out, if not more. Mm -hmm. And just to get any kind of good customer service has been just pretty terrible. And, uh, and like not saying to, to throw shit at, at the labs, I, I can understand that it can be challenging to not predict how much uh, amount of work you're going to have. Right. You know, the, I'm assuming that's part of it. Right. Um, but it's still that I think that just kind of adds a sense of like or leaves a bad taste in your mouth about the industry when you're in it. Like, man, like, you know, this is a slowdown already. And if you do introduce DEA labs, I mean, what's that going to do? Right. It slows it down once. I mean, that's impossible. It's hard sometimes in this industry because it's, you know, growing so rapidly to understand what is a, what's a, what's normal, what's not, what's good, normal, what's not, yeah. you know, in terms of customer service, should you expect, you know, a response or a turnaround within X number of days or not? And, and under what circumstances is it okay to wait or to not get that customer service that you need? I mean, generally speaking, you know, being able at least to communicate with your, the companies with, that you work with is, is important. So lack of communication is right off the bat, a bad one, um, or a bad, or bad sign. But with respect to, you know, getting your, your results back, we want them back quickly because things are moving, but there's just not enough you know, bandwidth out there for the labs that, that do exist for them to do that right now. Yeah. I think, uh, one of my beefs with our industry and I, I love what we do and, and what we're a part of. Uh, but I think the, I, th I think this is getting a little bit better, but I, I feel like the lack of professionalism as a whole is like, it just it irritates me. It irks me so much. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, that could be from, uh, people being noncommittal or just saying, Oh, I'm going to do this. And they don't, or they never get back to you. And it's a lot more than that, but just, I think that professionalism, it lends itself to a like, Hey, I, I I'm doing what I said I will do. Right. And I think that there's a big, it seems so basic, right? <laughs> yeah. but it's not out there a lot of times. I mean, that's the nature of, of I think probably any new industry, certainly something that's right. exciting. Uh, for people. And I think if we're having this conversation 15, 20, 25 years from now, it'll be a completely different conversation about all of these factors. Right. But right now it's, it's a new industry and you have people who are just impassioned about the plant itself, mm -hmm. who are great advocates for the plant, but may not have any real levels of sophistication with business and, and or science or, or whatnot. You also see, you know, people who just see an opportunity, they don't care particularly about cannabis or CBD or mm -hmm. THC or anything at all, but they just see an opportunity. So they jump in and try to make a quick buck. And then on the flip side of things, I think you see some high level of sophistication, you know, executives from other industries that are coming in and they do bring that business, but they might not understand the, the plant right. piece, whether it be uh, the culture in which it arose, the, the science piece, how it's being used, how it's being discussed. So I think the a lack of sophistication can come on a lot of different levels, mm -hmm. but every year it gets better. It does. I, I've, I've yeah. noticed that in, in my years of practicing. I agree. Um, so talking about, um, was it maybe two or three weeks ago, you talked about um, your thoughts for 2020. Right. Um, can, can you summarize that a little bit? I Maybe mean, we can go into a couple of those points. Yeah, absolutely. I may need to bring them up. <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry. Right. See what I was thinking about at the time to to do. In fact, I'll I'll do that while we're talking. Okay. Yeah. Um, but you know, every looking into the crystal ball is is always fun, and it's 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 an exercise to 
to see how right you were because mm-hmm. it's impossible, of course, to have a, a to predict things and be exactly right. Certainly not without a lot of luck. Okay, so I've just pulled up my blog post. So okay. I'll, I'm happy to just walk through them and give a little bit of context. Yeah, to go it. for so, it. Yeah, I'm pulling it up here. So the the top one will be that CBD will go mainstream, mm-hmm. and that sounds ridiculous. How more mainstream could it be? <laughs> it's like if you're in the grocery store, it's on every you know the cover of three out of five magazines, and right. everyone's mother and grandmother is using it. But yes. when you look at the the charts and the graphs as to who's used it, who's been exposed to it, and who is likely to use it, we're at the beginning of the beginning. You know, we really are in the stage of just the early adopters. And so the mainstream has not adopted it yet. And that's going to happen. I think we're going to see it happen in a lot of ways through the topical piece. And so hemp-derived topicals, cosmetics that contain CBD and that do not make medical claims are not prohibited at all by the FDA. And so we're going to see a lot of big multinational publicly traded companies move into that space. We've already seen it on some level. And so that's giving more access and to it. And then I think we're going to see, you know, more in the way of ingestibles, you know, on the market and then being more regulated. So we're just going to see a lot more CBD. That's for sure. Can, so on that, can I friendly challenge you there? Just, friendly just curious. Challenge me. Absolutely. <laughs> I just made that up. That sounds, <laughs> sounds terrible. I'm um, a lawyer, bring it on. We'll talk, we'll talk it out. Right. Um, so with that, uh, let's see. Um, with um what is it like uh, google trends you can yeah. look up almost any topic and you can see like you know the, the interest for for something uh, there's some other websites that are similar to that and so looking at cbd you know in the past five years uh you know four or five years ago it was really low mm-hmm. then about three two years ago you know just shot up as far as mm-hmm. uh the the percentage of people that were looking mm-hmm. for it and then in the past few months it seems like that's been waning um, and you know, that, that one data point, then the other is with, um, before we started recording, I mentioned about a few cultivators who have a whole bunch of, uh, biomass sitting in a mm-hmm. warehouse somewhere, or maybe people that are holding out the crude or distillate. And what we were talking about about a year ago, that's like, man, like we got to produce and you know, all these people are getting right. into it and like, we need more hemp. And then now it seems like there's, um, people are holding on to stuff or that they're not selling as much mm-hmm. as they thought they would not saying that they had any data to back it up. Right. Right. But just curious if like who is selling and maybe who's buying or, or, or I guess will be right. according to what you're saying, like, you know, in 2020, right. uh, it'll go mainstream um, where it doesn't f- sometimes being inside. Right. I understand that sometimes you got blinders on, like mm-hmm. you see your shadow and you're like, Oh, that's how it's happening. But it might not be the case, but it's like, maybe what's that that difference yeah no i think you make really good points and i i can answer it in two different ways so one is right if you look at the google analytics you know cbd in particular has gone from pretty much non-existent mm-hmm. of, of, in terms of search queries a few years ago to it, it literally beats out everything except i think like trump and porn yes. or something like that you know it's like <laughs> it's the highest search query for anything right and and, and it's gone that in a very short period of time, but but it has sort of planed off. And what I discuss in my blog post is there's a this concept called crossing the chasm. Mm-hmm. And it was articulated in a book by um, Jeffrey Moore. And it's actually years and years ago. But crossing the chasm talks about the the cycle of, of new products. And it says it divides the 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 life cycle of products into innovators early adopters mm-hmm. yep. main majority on the early side the main right. majority on the mature side and then late adopters and then laggards and it's right. a bell curve 
<clears throat> and the chasm usually occurs after the early adopter period, but before the main sort of early majority. Mm -hmm. And what you see is this bell curve going up. And then after the early adopters, there's usually a dip and they call that the chasm. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of the calm before the storm. And, and then gotcha. that's bam, that's where the main majority <clears throat> takes off. And the, from a percentage piece, the innovators and their early adopters uh, represent about 15% of the total amount of consumers that will eventually be using the product. Mm -hmm. And so where we are now, uh, based on a lot of data, um, you know, even though we seem to see it everywhere, we're still at only maybe a 15% penetration of the market. Right. And I think we can say that the the data points projecting, you know, the billions of, you know, of sales over the next five, 10 years or whatever it's going to be are are accurate because there is an, an ever growing interest in cannabis and cannabinoids. Mm -hmm. You know, this doesn't seem to be something that's just going to go away. Right. So I think one piece with the data point of, of us in this slow period has to do with that that chasm. But the other piece is you, know, you brought up the fact that people are now having a hard time selling their material, their raw material, their hemp itself, uh, the distillates, the even the isolates, they're all the prices are crashing. There's a surplus on the market. And so, you know, how can we talk about this, the, this industry expanding when we're looking at people not even be able to sell what they have right now. And I think that just is, is an immature market. Mm -hmm. You know, we, the, the, the supply and the demand side hasn't quite lined up. And we've seen this on a state by state basis as new states will come on, say with a medical or adult use program, you know, suddenly, you know, right off the bat, everything sells out and then people produce, 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 produce. And then, and then it becomes a glut and the prices drop and then certain producers will go out of business. And in Colorado, there are a lot of, a lot of businesses that, that went out um, until that stabilized. And so I do think that this is not uh, what we're seeing in terms of sales is not that, that CBD and, and, and cannabis products are not going to be penetrating the market more. It's just that our supply chain and, and the demand um, side is, is not matched up yet. So yeah. it's just inventory. We got to, got to go yeah. through. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. So um, moving on, I guess if this, if you want to still kind yeah, of yeah, let's take, take the path of, of some predictions, I see that uh, track and trace and GMP will, will really finally become the norm. And this is how it should be. I mean, any kind of consumer products, certainly products that we ingest or use on our bodies, you can expect, you, you just expect that they were made in compliant, safe, you know, um, sanitary conditions and that, that you can track and track and trace the product. If there's some product that some batch that has a problem with it, that should be able to be recalled with, you know, not a whole lot of fanfare, bam, mm -hmm. they identify, this is where those products went, send out the recall and, and bring it back. But to date, we haven't seen that certainly not on a large scale with the industry right. and it's, it's matured to the point where that's, that's going to be necessary to go mm -hmm. forward. So if you're not already working with or moving your, your manufacturing to, to be CGMP, you need to track and trace from seed to sale. And that can be at all different levels. And, and certainly with respect to, if you're a manufacturer, your, your batch testing has to be there. You've got to be able to now work on shelf stability studies and how to do a full recall if you need to, and so mm -hmm. on and so forth. Do you think that that's something that the consumer cares about, or is that more the government? I think both, you know, the, the governments are where we talk about the federal government, the state governments do care. You know, a lot of the you know, consumer protections are getting defunded in various ways with yeah. the current administration. And that's another conversation, but I, you know, from a regulatory standpoint, it does matter and it's going to be required, but I think consumers care about that. You know, consumers may not be conscious of it, but it's, if, if they're not consciously looking for products that are, 
have these certifications or were made in these circumstances, they're assuming that they were. I mean, I don't think yeah. anyone's like, hey, I'm I'm going to go out and look for the product that was made in someone's you know, dirty <laughs> basement. <laughs> you know, that's so I do think consumers care whether or not they, you know, are fully conscious or, or articulate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I believe that. I think it's one of those where it takes a a horrible event to occur yeah. before the con- regular consumer is like, oh, wow. I wonder if, you know, these other companies will track or, or, you know, let me know where stuff came from. It's too bad that that is often the case. You're exactly right. Yeah. Someone gets hurt and that's the thing that brings attention to it. Or like a you know, major uh, news organization says like, oh, we're going to test these products. And then, you know, a few companies get a black eye. And Right, they you know. do. And, you know, I've been involved, frankly, with some some clients who underwent that process. And it's never pretty because those are never about, you know, hey, here's the best of the best. It's always we're trying to bring someone down. Yeah. And what I've found is that the testing protocols that those TV stations or, or news organizations use are often the wrong ones or they're not mm-hmm. taking into account all the different um, issues. So, for example, I've, I've seen these sort of expose news reports where they'll pull a series of gummies. Well, a pack of gummies, you know, it, we, we don't know if it's been properly stored, how old it is, if the bag's been shaken around, if the gummies are infused with CBD or they're sprayed with CBD or powdered with it. There's all these different circumstances. And are you looking at the CBD for the whole pack or is it per gummy? So all these things are getting better from a manufacturing standpoint as they have to. But those exposés often and unfortunately can't be relied upon either. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's funny because something like that comes out. it, It almost in a way tells me that sensationalism is more important than let's say research or hard evidence because you know right. there, we have so much so many research um you know studies and not all great but there's so much research on let's say cbd thc uh, but it's a lot of folks say well it's not enough like we need more and sure we need to understand right. the plan more but there's still a lot of information out there so much but but it doesn't come to like a specific point about cannabis doesn't come to the forefront of the consumer's mind until some TV station says, Hey, look at this awful thing that happened and somebody, whatever. And that's when people are like, Oh my God. And you know, politicians like, we got to close this down. And you know, like, it's just like that, that, uh, the drama or just like that. Wow. Look at this ugly pimple on that face. We got to take care of that. Like that's when people take action. It seems like that's when they take action. Absolutely. And it's, you know, I mean, it makes sense, but it's also unfortunate. And a lot of times the, when you talk about the the government, you know, regulators coming in, a lot of times they do the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one example of that is this, the whole vaping crisis that, yeah. that came down. And so, you know, there are a lot of different factors involved, but essentially what was happening is that, you know, black market for the most part, THC, products were, were being, you know, um, mixed with vitamin E acetate Mm -hmm. in order to stretch the supply and be able to sell them for cheaper and sell more and so on and so forth. And that was causing a a lot of harm and even some, some deaths. Now there also could be cheaply made batteries and other things like that, that were, that were emitting some, some carcinogenic, um, substances, but by and large, that's what was happening. Well, when it came to the regulators, what the regulators do is they said, no more flavored vapes mm-hmm. for nicotine. 
yeah. which I'm not sure there was ever any any connection at all established between flavored nicotine vapes and the deaths that were were occurring. Mm-hmm. And but that's what the regulators did. It, it, it served some other political purposes. And yeah. we see that happen a lot, too. And that's that can be frustrating. That's not to say, uh, you know, I'm not taking a position one way or the other about nicotine. I went not do that mm-hmm. area of law and, and flavored vapes. But just to see that there was a pretty clear identification of what the problem was. And there were ways that, that the regulators could have gone about addressing it. And they went in an entirely different direction. Yeah. So we, yeah. We, we still, it's still important to talk to the consumer and educate people. Yeah. That's still one doubt. of the biggest things. Um, so then tracking, do you think, uh, blockchain has a place in this whole tracking? I don't know how familiar you are with, um, I am, I'm a, a super duper amateur when it comes to blockchain, but mm-hmm. I've had numerous conversations with some really, really bright people. And I think blockchain is something that is not only would be helpful to the cannabis industry, but I think it's probably inevitable that that's going to be play a part on the supply chain side at some uh, at some point. I think the real issue is um, companies and in particular consumers being able to access and use that. And yeah. I don't think there's a platform that no. I'm aware of yet that, that allows either. And I right. think once that evolves, I think we'll, we'll start to see blockchain being used more. Yeah. Okay. Um, so then number three. Uh, Emergence of and availability of other cannabinoids on the on the market. Yeah, so uh, so novel cannabinoids is something that uh, that really is interesting to me because we've THC, of course, everyone knows about CBD. Now most people know about, uh, but there, as you well know, there are dozens, over a hundred other cannabinoids. Uh, before recording, we were talking about the d- discovery of the THCP and the mm-hmm. CBDP, and that just we just discovered that you know, within the past few weeks. So there's all these cannabinoids, but then there's also terpenes, and then there's also combinations and what they can do. So this is where the beginning of the beginning. But I think that what we're going to see um, over the next 12 to 24 months is the emergence of CBG. That's beca- That's not a household name, but within the industry it is. And also CBC, and CBN are, are the most likely next candidates with the possibility of THCV as well. A lot of this depends on traction that can be garnered in the consumer market, um, but also the ability to, to, you know, to, to harvest um, these cannabinoids, so to speak, you know, to grow genetics that, that can be rich in, in a lot of these cannabinoids, but also to be able to extract them. You know, you can't really grow a CBN rich plant. It just doesn't work that way. So a lot of it has to do with, with how do you extract or convert other cannabinoids to CBN. Whereas CBG has a lot to do with genetics and also when you would harvest, you know, you'd harvest it earlier, usually than if you were um, growing for THC or CBD because CBG is, is the precursor. So anyway, there, the point is there are, a, uh, we're going to see new and novel cannabinoids that actually hit the market, I think, within the next year. Yeah, I think those companies will have a good advantage uh, if, if they can market it properly, right? Because I think people, like you're saying, there's still a minority of people that are using CBD. And some people still don't know what CBD is. A lot of right. people still don't know. Right. So to go from, oh, okay, well, don't worry about CBD just you know, for now. Let's talk about CBG or V or whatever. Uh, it's like that education or, or possibly marketing piece. And, it you know, it'll take somebody to, to do that well if it doesn't um, go viral. Absolutely. And I don't think that people should expect that certainly that CBG will ever go viral in the same way. CBG is not just another CBD. It's not going to be that, you know, two years from now, it's going to be on the cover of every magazine in the grocery store. I don't think that's the way CBG is going to go. I think it's going to be used uh, more clinically. And then also I think it's going to be 
an, an add-on to consumer products that we already see now with mm-hmm. CBG and then maybe talks about the synergistic effect that CBG has with when used with different concentrations of CBD and so mm-hmm. on. Okay. Cool. What's next? Um, let's see. An international cannabis market will finally emerge. Now we, we touched on that briefly, but what we're seeing is that, you know, other countries are following the United States. Um, some countries are leading the United States in certain respects, but we know that Europe in particular is, is very involved in, in, and there's a really a, the beginnings of a revolution in cannabis that's happening in, in Europe right now, uh, particularly with medical cannabis, CBD, and, and even hemp. And we have the, the big obstacle for CBD in particular is the EU novel foods uh, laws that say that uh, in order for there to be a new ingredient in, in foods, there has, there's an application process and it can take one to three years and lots of money. Uh, it's roughly analogous to the, you know, sort of the FDA's position. Uh, but, but in any event, uh, that doesn't mean that raw products, you know, raw CBD can't be necessarily shipped into, into Europe. Some countries are more stringent about this than others and so on and so forth. Uh, also South America. Now there's several countries that are, that are online where, where it's lawful to grow all different forms of, of cannabis. And a lot of that is being grown, not for the internal market might be a small country like Uruguay, but for the, for the world market, you know, they're, they're wanting to supply, um, you know, the, the medical market in, in Germany, for instance, or something like that. So I think we're going to see a big emergence of 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 the of cannabis as an international commodity, and particularly hemp and CBD this coming year. That's really interesting. So, from a strategy perspective, how do you start to consider that? Is it where you say, "Well, I want to export to"? Before we were talking about Africa, like you know, I want to export to Africa, right? Uh, or do you need to have, uh, let's say, marketing and ad spend already? Like you know, what it's like the chicken or the egg. Where, where do you start? It really is, and it's hard to say. Kind of obviously depends on where you are in the supply chain. Are you a are you a producer? Are you a manufacturer? Are you a, are you a, um, doing something else? But I think you identify the region that you want to start with or regions, and typically it means identifying the supply chain partners you need. So if you are producing, for example, you know, raw, you know, CBD isolate and, and you're wanting to put that in, 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 in say Kentucky or Colorado or, or wherever, and you're wanting that, you know, to ship that into Germany or into Spain or into some other country. Well, that's great, but you need to find your distribution partners first, I think. And so I think you, you need to find that counterpart in that other country that's going to connect with your supply chain. And then from that relationship, you can begin to form your strategy for getting the product over there and also, you know, work your way through the regulatory hurdles and issues. And this is a very new area. Certainly import exports been around for centuries. That's the way, you know, the world commerce grows uh, and it's got its own complexities, but in terms of cannabis and cannabis derivatives, there are all sorts of different layers and, uh, and complications. So this is a very new issue and it's very exciting to me. So it seems like, <clears throat> it seems almost like you, it's one of those where you have to know someone, like you have to have a connection um, to say, like, okay, well, I want to start to export to Uruguay. Like I have to, let's say from the perspective of maybe a cultivator in North America, right? Like, okay, well, there's somebody in your guy that can, um, that can sell it somewhere. So, but I can provide good quality, um, hemp. Um, right. like, is that kind of what you see or, or yeah, having that relationship or relationships is, is vital. Mm-hmm. You know, I think just, just saying, I, I want to grow a product or make a product and sell it in Europe or in South America or, or Mexico or wherever 
you know, unfortunately isn't good enough. You've got to have that counterpart. Yeah. And that can be because your, your life experience in your prior career or growing up or whatever you have, you know, uh, participants and people that you know, or because you go out and find them, you know, mm -hmm. now we're, they're beginning to be more and more conferences about cannabis and cannabis related products uh, in the international space. And so I see more and more people are traveling to those and speaking right. at them. And, and we're, we're certainly going to be speaking at several international conferences this year. Okay, cool. Do you have any scheduled coming yeah, up? Yeah, I'm going to be in Dublin the first week of March and, and then in France at speaking at, at a international cannabis conference in, in Paris in July. And possibly one in, in Israel this spring. I don't have that one pinned down yet. Okay, cool. That sounds pretty exciting. Um, all right. International. And then, uh, oh, this one. This is very exciting right here. <laughs> Number five. Yeah, we'll see the first wave of cannabis insolvencies and bankruptcies. And I have to say, this this one has already been proven true. So uh, we've got... Jin Kana has, has filed bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, this is, again, we were talking about the market and it being an immature market and all sorts of, um, you know, inefficiencies and whatnot. Well, part of any, any market, any product category, any industry has to do with, with insolvencies and bankruptcies and things like that. That's just part of a mature market. And we haven't seen that um, to date until this year. And I think a lot of the, the pricing drops that we were talking about earlier are going to contribute to companies being overextended. Now, an issue, and, and I'm in, in my prior legal career, I was a bankruptcy specialist. So this is something that I'm, I'm familiar with. And I think it's, it's going to be interesting because when we talk about marijuana, uh, marijuana companies cannot uh, file bankruptcy because it's federally illegal. So what they do is federally illegal. And whether it's a liquidation where, where a federal agent, a, tr a bankruptcy trustee would have to liquidate products that are federally illegal, that, that can't happen. Or whether it's a company that just needs to reorganize its debt structure, uh, arguably that can't be done either because, again, they're they're asking federal courts to, to apply federal laws to uh, an operation that is federally illegal. And so that's, you know, when, in terms of marijuana companies, we haven't, we won't see bankruptcies just yet, but there is a state counterpart uh, that can be called a receivership that where we can, we can see sort of bankruptcy esque proceedings. When it comes to hemp though, as I said with, with the Gincana, we are going to start to see some bankruptcies that is federally legal um, industry and, and so the bankruptcy law is going to apply. Uh, the only thing I think that will slow that down a little bit is that, frankly, a lot of the, the, the debt that's usually associated or always associated with bankruptcy cases has not been issued because banks have only until very recently been willing to issue debt. So I think a lot of the bankruptcies will have to do with with private lenders and private investors and, and, and vendors that weren't paid and so on and so forth versus a, a more standard bankruptcy where you're, you're seeing institutional lenders involved. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And banks are still starting to kind of get on that. It's, you know, we, for a small reason, we had to go find a, a bank and you know, we, we had to go through 15 plus banks just to right. try to find somebody that would be willing to work with us. Absolutely. And they're changing, you know, <clears throat> banks, you know, so I've seen banks that were, sort of hemp friendly ish mm -hmm. at least. And, and now they're, they're coming back and, and, and kicking people out or saying, well, you, you can stay on, but you can't sell X, Y, and Z types of products. And right. so, yeah, banks are, are struggling to, 
comply with what they perceive as the appropriate regulations um, and how they're applied to their bank. So yeah, it's, it's banking still is in its infancy with, with, with cannabis at large and even with hemp and, and lending follows that. So we're still in the very, very infancy stages of, of lending with cannabis businesses. I just heard somebody saying, it sounded so ridiculous that uh, their bank found out that they were um, dealing with biomass and that they charged them, I think it was like three, $400 um, and the, close their account. <laughs> Gosh, really? So it's like they kicked them in the teeth on their way out. <laughs> on the way out, right. Like give us your money and get out, right? It's it's awful. Fortunately, there are some banks that are actively courting the the hemp sector and mm-hmm. and and trying to do it right. And I think ultimately it'll be the case with 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 all financial financial institutions, but I encourage people to go and support those banks. Yeah. You know, a lot of times they're they're regional or even state specific banks and it may be a little more inefficient to, to work with them than working with some national bank that has a, an ATM on every corner. But these, these smaller regional banks that are actively courting the hemp industry, they're the ones that are doing it right. They are in the same position as, as a lot of hemp companies are. They're mm-hmm. out trying to, to do the right thing and to, and to carve a niche. And I think we should support that for sure. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, so then last question here before you get to go in the next few minutes. So talked about a few things um, coming up for 2020. Um, do you feel like there are any, let's say, open opportunities or places in the hemp industry where there's very little activity in, but potentially high rewards that people are not really going after? Haha, <laughs> that's great. Um, so uh, the high rewards are typically associated with high risk. Yeah. So I'll, I'll preface that. One thing that I think you're is a lawyer, just, you have to say that I have to say that I've got to have the, the <laughs> lawyer thing. Don't don't rely on me. This is not investment <laughs> advice or anything. You know, one thing that I've seen and we've already talked about, and that is the need for analytical um, lab laboratory testing. There are a handful of really good, high quality analytical labs, and I want them to continue to grow and do well. I know a lot of the principals of those labs and the founders, and, and they're doing a great job, but they just cannot handle the volume. And so I think there's a real opportunity uh, for, to to engage in the hemp industry at this stage by being an analytical lab. Mm-hmm. Now that's tough. I mean, that's a very small segment of, of, of people and that it, it can get involved in that because it's, it's capital intensive. It usually is, has, well, not usually you have to have, you know, personnel that, that can, can do it right. And that's yeah, scientific training and everything yeah. else. So it's, that's can be a different, difficult opportunity to get involved in. But I, I think that's a good one on the other side. We've all already talked about as well. And I think that's the, the international piece mm-hmm. and that's high re- re- high risk high reward because it's it's risky you you could spend a year trying to put all the pieces together and nothing ever happened there's too many f- failure points in a typical s- scenario right now trying to export your product to a foreign country that being said if you're able to do it su- successfully and grab a big piece of that pie it could be highly profitable mm-hmm. okay are there if you can say are there two or three countries that if you're considering international that you, you should say like okay you know you can consider these as a initial path yeah this is something that that i'm asked a lot about with clients and it's it's changing rapidly and there's no sort of absolute I, you know germany is seems to be poised to really open up its its medical marijuana program and there are going to be some opportunities there so i think they're the only ones that so far that i've heard that um their insurance will reimburse for right. marijuana usage right at some scandinavian um countries it's not marijuana but i believe it's with cbd or hemp oh, okay may as well but right now germany is moving in that direction and of course germany is going to be leading the rest of europe in that respect um, i think spain 
and Italy have a little more grayer markets, but also are, are a little more tolerant. So mm -hmm. that's you know, in some ways that's like the U.S. You know, it's not a lot of things are not prohibited, but they're not expressly authorized, or the rules are a little bit difficult to navigate. Um, Britain seems to be very much at the forefront, at least with respect to hemp and CBD. It's you know just gone through Brexit and it's going through a lot of adjustments, and so we'll see how rapidly it's able to ramp things up. I, I think that Mexico has in this position where it has, you know, have this two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, one step back. And so I feel like I'm constantly getting excited about Mexico and then, oh, finding out, well, mm -hmm. no, we're not quite there yet. This, that or the other has to happen before we can do it. But I think that it will not be too long before Mexico will be a, a good export market as well. Do I understand this correctly, that uh, some of the reasons that folks outside of the U.S. will purchase U.S., let's call it CBD or right. hemp is because the people believe that the quality from U.S. products is better than what's in their native country? I think that's one of them. Uh, one of the main reasons is that the quality is there. And so that's a, you know, yet another reason to be focused on quality and quality standards and regulations in the U.S. because that's a big that's a big sell that the U.S. has that, that some countries don't have. And I think also it's just that the the supply chain and the infrastructure is not not there yet in some of these other mm -hmm. countries okay. and and importing U.S. goods of whatever commodities or finished products or whatnot um, in the cannabis space into these other countries, a lot of times is, you know, a surrogate for infrastructure that doesn't exist. Sometimes it's priming the pump, you know, to get things moving in that country. Okay, good deal. So let's see, we got a couple minutes before you have to run. Um, so where can folks find you? Yeah, sure. So Rod Kite, a K-I-G-H-T. It's like night, but with a K instead of an N. And you can go to kiteoncannabis.com. And that is my uh, legal blog. And I we try to keep articles up, you know, one to two articles per week. We're less about trying to break every little story that comes out than we are about taking an issue and really analyzing it and providing helpful information to to readers. And so you can email me, Rod, at cannabusiness.law or, or give us a call, 828-255-9881. Fantastic. So thank you again. This is our second podcast. I'll link to all those things in the uh, the show notes. Um, always love talking to you. I think you have some great insights. Uh, you, have, you offer a lot of value. Um, and, uh, I hope that people at least subscribe to the, to the blog. I think you're on LinkedIn and, right. um, you know, of course you have the email newsletter. Um, and then of course, if anybody has any questions that they'll should be able to reach out to you, um, which I would encourage them that they do. I think you, you have some, some good things to say. Well, I appreciate um, that. I always enjoy speaking with you. You've got some really good insights yourself. So it's always a fun conversation. So, and then, uh, let me know when you're going to put out your podcast, the, the night or the, the, uh, the podcast of the hemp cannabis or right, right, right. Like I will. I'll, I'll put that out there for sure. <laughs> so we're, we're about to do a little bit of a website uh, restructure to, to include a special place for videos and podcasts like okay. this that people can find in addition to the, to the blog. So yeah. I, yeah, you, I mean, you do so many conferences and so many speaking gigs, like, you know, set up a camera and just, you know, I know, right. I need to, I need to do that. At least the ones where I, where I, I don't look like an idiot, you know, <laughs> <laughs> my, my hair's brushed right or whatnot. <laughs> so no, I think that's a great idea. So we want to be able to, um, to provide, uh, you know, additional resources where people mm -hmm. can go and so, Oh, here's a, Rod, a podcast with Rod talking about uh, talking with Jason and about X, Y, and Z. I'll, I think I'll listen to that. So I, we, we're hoping to um, get to a place where the website's really easy to navigate for those types of things. Cool. Looking forward to it. So right. thank you so much. Thanks so much. It's done. It's done. 
Hey guys, and before you go, this is Jason from Spectrum Labs. Please be sure to visit us on the web at thespectrumlabs.com for any show notes and links discussed in the podcast. Also, remember to click the subscribe button wherever you may be listening from so you get notified when our next episode comes out. And tune in next show and have a fantastic day. Oh,